Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Have you ever felt that God was letting you down? I have. Our daughter was going through a particularly painful experience some years ago. Pat and I prayed all during that time that the Lord would change the situation or at least encourage Kara in some ways. But for many, for many months, nothing happened. I'm sure that there have been times in your life when God was not doing what you were asking him to do. Or perhaps he was allowing something you would never have expected. You feel hurt, sad, worried, perhaps even frightened. And those feelings can lead to believing that our Heavenly Father is not listening, or that he doesn't care enough, or that he's too busy with other matters. You think to yourself, why is he not fixing my marriage? Why isn't he giving me a better, more satisfying job? Why has he brought me, has he not brought me a godly spouse? Why hasn't he set my addicted child free from drugs or, or alcohol? Why did the person for whom we were praying when they were sick die? Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, writes about where these questions can take a person. Here's what he says. A young woman wrote with some embarrassment about her ongoing depression. She has no reason to be depressed, she says. She is healthy, she earns a good salary, has a stable family background. Yet most days when she wakes up, she cannot think of a single reason to go on living. She no longer cares about life or God. And when she prays, she wonders... Is anyone really listening? Are you now, or have you ever been, disappointed with God? If so, then what do you do? Well, as with everything else in life, there are choices to be made. And in our passage this morning, Mark will show two very drastically different choices that are responses to Jesus Christ. They are as opposite in their nature as they are in their outcome. And they are choices that will make all the difference in life. Mark lays out these two choices sort of like a, a sandwich or an Oreo cookie. There are three scenes in the passage. The first and the third reveal one choice. 
The one in the middle, the cream, reveals a very different choice. He begins in Mark chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Now let me put this in some context. Mark chapter 13, where we had been the last couple of weeks, focuses on Jesus' interaction with his disciples on the Mount of Olives because he's responding to a question they asked. When will these things take place and what will be the sign of your return? And so Jesus tells them that, and that's where we've been. Now, Mark turns his attention back to the drama that is developing between Jesus and the religious leaders of Jerusalem. It is Wednesday, two days before Good Friday. And the city is filled with people getting ready for the great Jewish celebration of their deliverance from slavery, a deliverance that God brought about under Moses. Passover remembers when God brought to death the firstborn of those who had enslaved his people. And he spared them because in faith they obeyed a simple instruction. Put the blood of of a lamb without spot over your door and when death comes it will pass over your house. A picture of what is true of us in Christ. If we are believers in Jesus Christ then the blood of God's Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, has been applied to the door of our house, and when death comes, it will pass over. It's one of the holiest times in their culture, and it is during this holy time that these holy guys, these religious people, the scribes and the chief priests, are plotting the sin of murder. That's a big sin. It's number six in the top ten. And these are holy and religious guys. It always amazed me. In the early years of doing church planting in Romania, what was always true is that the number one obstacle to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ came from men wearing black robes and white collars. Holy people. I once heard such a person say to the pastor who was trying to reason with him, forget God. In another case, some of them were responsible for stealing away from the people the Bibles that we had given them the day before. Just took them away. Holy people. Religious people. In the case of the scribes and religious leaders in Jesus' day, Why were they rejecting Jesus? Why are they planning his death out of that rejection? Answer, Jesus has been doing things they don't like. They have expectations of what Messiah would be and do. And Jesus does not fit into their self-determined expectations. They are driven by their self-interests. And it blinds them from seeing what is right in front of them, the glory of God in the face of Christ. Therefore, they reject him. They want nothing to do with him. And they will do whatever is necessary so that he cannot have any effect on their lives. Now, how do they plan to do what they want to do? The scripture says, stealthfully. 
secretly. Arrest him secretly, and once he is in their clutches, proceed with whatever course of action that will rid them of this annoyance. Why do they want to do it stealthfully? It says, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. They were afraid of how people would respond. They were the politicians of their day. And throughout history, most politicians are not driven by integrity or commitment to do that which is right, but that which is expedient to their self-serving interests. They are driven by self-centered motives and goals. You're not what I want you to be, therefore, fill in the blank. They don't consider God. They're more concerned about the reaction of the people. It's just like Moses when he killed the Egyptian. If you know the story, he sees an Egyptian beating up one of his brethren. And here's what the scripture says. And Moses looked this way and that. And when he saw that no one was looking, he slew the Egyptian. Just like Moses, these politicians look this way at the people and that way. What direction did they not look? Up. They were more concerned about people than God. And all of us, to some degree, can be this way. It's called being a people pleaser. And it's a surefire indicator of carnal Christianity. I mean by that walking by the flesh as opposed to the spirit. Now, why do I say that? Because it is about me trying to get what I need or want based on how I evaluate other people's response to me. Did you get that? I try to get what I need from my opinion of other people's response to me. I, I, me, me, I. In regard to Bayside Chapel, do we do what we do so that we can get what we want to get from people? Are we driven by the response of our community or other churches? Or even you guys as our membership? Is that what drives us to do what we do? Or are we driven by the risen Christ and the truth of his word? Praise God we are, because if it was otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here this morning. See, that's integrity. The other is not. The religious leaders are more concerned about themselves than what is pleasing to God. Their self-centeredness explains their concern about what the people will think and do. Therefore, they plan to take Jesus away secretly, not during the feast, out of fear of the people, all because they do not like what they see him doing. So therefore, they reject him. And here's the first point, folks. Some people reject Jesus because of what he does. That's one of the choices. I reject him because of what he does. And now... Mark hits the pause button. Boop. And the, sh and the scene shifts to a private home. I want you to enter this home with me this morning. I want you to go on a little journey in your mind's eye and watch this scene. I wish we had a drama team that could have acted this out for us, okay? I want you to see a scene that is going to reveal the other choice that people can make. Now, before we do that, i got to put in a little, little bit of context. The religious leaders 
evil plans have taken on now a new urgency because something has happened a few days before in the village of Bethany. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And the Apostle John tells us that because of this event, many people believed in him, yet at the same time, on the part of the spiritual people, the holy people, the shepherds of the nation of Israel, there was a completely different response. Look at how John records it. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, meaning raising Lazarus, believed in him. Duh. What would you do if you saw somebody raise a dead guy? But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Caiaphas, who was the high priest this year, that year, said to them, it is better for you that one man should die for the people, meaning Christ, not that the whole nation should perish. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Two completely different responses. Despite seeing the same event, there can be drastically different responses. So Mark now invites us into the home of an event. He says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. We are in the home of Simon. Mark tells us he is a leper. Apparently, this is a man that Jesus has healed. And Simon has invited Jesus and some others to dinner. While there, here we are at dinner, a woman enters. And she's uninvited. John tells us it is Mary, Lazarus' sister. The woman bursts into the place. That's not acceptable. A woman just doesn't burst into a man's home uninvited. And everyone of us sees it as the intrusion that it is. You can hear the gasps almost in the room. How dare she do something? Now, if it had ended there, it would have been shocking enough. But to our amazement, it goes much deeper. She comes with a very expensive essence. It is an alabaster vial of pure nard. In today's equivalent, it would be worth about $50,000. She does not simply open the vial, but she breaks it, which renders it completely worthless. And she empties the contents on the Lord Jesus Christ, pouring it on his head. The Apostle John goes further, tells us that she also put some of it on his feet and wiped her feet, wiped his feet with her hair. She does all of this without any concern about our opinion. She doesn't look to those who are gathered at the dinner. She doesn't allow for that. How might they respond to what she is doing? And as a matter of fact, the people don't respond favorably at all. And in effect, they say to themselves, will you look at that? Look at that. What does she think she is doing? Bursting in here like that. Behave, what? Look at how she's wasting that. that. That's a year's salary that can be given to the poor. Look at how she's behaving. She should be ashamed of herself. Treating him like he's the greatest thing to ever come to earth. 
What's she doing with her hair? I would never do that. Now, you and I would never look at someone else's expression of love to Jesus and judge them harshly, would we? Hmm. I'm sorry to say that there have been times when I've been aware of such things within the church and within my own heart, if I'm going to be really honest. I come from a church background where if someone were to lift their hands in worship, people would be outraged. We're on the slippery slope to emotional excessiveness and even worse. Now, I'm not saying that we should do things that are unbiblical in our worship, but let's face it, sometimes there are people like you can be completely biblical in what you're doing and they kind of look at you with consternation. I would never do that. And then there's the opposite, see, because there are those uh, uh, sometimes of us that'll react to what a person's doing. And in the same way, you can react to what a person isn't doing. I've seen people who look at others who seem to be kind of like unconscious during the, during the worship, you know? The chosen frozen. The frozen chosen? You know, baptized in lemon juice. You know, we can be so quick to compare others to ourselves. I would never do that. And without saying so, we condemn them for it. Can we agree not to judge one another based on whatever my opinion may be or your opinion may be or what somebody else is doing? Mark tells us that they said this stuff to themselves. But they also addressed Mary. He says they scolded her. The word, well, let me show you what that looks like, okay? This isn't pretty. It kind of looks like this. They look at it and go, I hope nothing flies out. It means to snort with the nostrils. Isn't that a pretty picture this morning? You ever do, like you're, you're in so indignant. That's what, that's what they did as they spoke to her. How dare you? Mary is unaffected by any of this. She is driven, not by cultural norms, not by any desire to be a people pleaser, not by the acceptance or potential rejection of her peers. She does what she does out of her love for Jesus, and that's enough. Our love for Jesus should drive us, not the opinion of others. Now, how does Jesus respond to this? Mark continues. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus, knowing the heart behind the action, rebukes the snorters and not only defends Mary but actually justifies what she has done explaining to them how her actions are appropriate and right he tells them she's done a beautiful thing that word means something that is good something that is excellent in its nature in fact 
What Mary does is totally appropriate because of the person who is on the receiving end of her action, of her act of adoration. She understands who Jesus is and nothing else mattered. Now, in his response, the Lord is not saying that we should ignore the poor. His words, as a matter of fact, communicate a different message. That there will always be the opportunity to serve those who are in need. We should always remember that. That's why, for example, Bayside has a benevolence ministry that we take an offering for once a month. But what he is saying is that Mary's response is justified because she's not going to have another opportunity to do this before he goes to the cross. She has done what she could. She chooses to express her love for Jesus by lavishing something very valuable on him because she was able to. The Lord deserves that and nothing, excuse me, he deserves that and more. But he never expects his children to do that which they are not capable of doing. Part of Jesus' defense of Mary's actions is the fact that they are in preparation for the completion of the mission for which he came to this planet, to go to a cross, to die, and to be buried for three days before rising again. In that culture, it was normal to prepare the body for burial after death. In this case, the preparation actually takes place before Jesus dies. Very interesting when you think about it, because if you remember the story, when he dies, it's late in the day on Friday, and there wasn't time to prepare the body. That's why the women are coming to the tomb on Sunday morning. It's all like God had a plan. How about that? And so finally, the Lord reveals what the outcome of her choice will be. Listen what it is. He says what, her, what she has done will be told in memory of her. In other words, in honor of her. Obviously that's true because here we are talking about it 2,000 years later. What does that do to your heart to know that your act of love toward Jesus, even on a Sunday morning when we gather here, yes, it honors him, but he honors the act and blesses us for it. The Lord sees and blesses our acts of devotion to him. Now, you might be thinking, now, now wait a minute. You know, I understand Mary's reaction because after all, look at what Jesus did for her. Uh, he raised her brother from the dead. It's, it's because of what she witnessed him do that she does what she, she does. I want to point out to you something. That the other parties in our story, Judas, for example, the Pharisees, they were very much aware of what happened with Lazarus. Either they were eyewitnesses of it or they heard it directly from eyewitnesses. In other words, they had all the same information. They all had the same data, yet they were very different responses. Some people reject Jesus because of what he does and others adore Jesus because of who he is. Then... Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. I find it interesting that Mark says, then. Then, Judas. What, what then? 
Judas is present when this act of worship on Mary's part is being witnessed. John tells us more about it. And this act is the final straw for Judas. He's had it. It is this event that causes him to ultimately go to the religious leaders and say, what will you give me to turn him over to you? And that initiation on his part will enable the religious leaders who also reject him to put their plan into motion. The Gospels indicate that this is the, the, the final event that puts Judas on his path. And so I want you to notice something, that it was not Jesus who rejects Judas. It's Judas who rejects Jesus. And that choice will set Judas on an evil, self-destructive path. Now, unlike the leaders, Judas knew Jesus really well. He lived with them for a few years, a couple, couple years. He'd been with Jesus with just about every significant thing he said and did. And yet, he chooses to reject him by handing him over to those who also reject him. And it shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't shock us that a person can know everything they need to know about Jesus and still reject him. I've known people like that for many, many years, even within my own family. Can you relate to that? What else do you need to know? How much does a person need to know about Jesus to be able to make a reasonable decision about him? Can you think of anyone who's had more of an effect on culture in human history than Jesus of Nazareth? This is just one example. There's no one who has influenced the human race more than this Jewish carpenter who claimed to be the son of God. Art, music, literature, morality are just some of the areas of human endeavor that have been profoundly affected by Jesus. And yet people reject him. Why? Because they don't like the things he did or does. And that was the religious leaders. So what's Judas's issue? Why did he reject Christ? I think it's not because of what Jesus was doing. I think it was because of what Jesus was not doing. He wanted a political solution to what he thought the problem was. Therefore, he didn't see God's solution to the real problem, which was sin. That should strike a nerve with us, folks. Do we get more worked up about not having the political agendas and leaders we want? Do we really think that some president, some body of legislators are going to bring about what needs to happen in our culture? You're deceived if you think that is true. We don't need the right president. We don't need the right party in control. We need Jesus Christ expressing himself through the church. That's only hope. And we distract ourselves and get ourselves all worked up because we won't Turn off the news. <laughs> it's such a happy thing too, isn't it? Don't you just feel so lifted up when you watch the news? It's just like going to church. Oh, I'm so happy now. I didn't plan to say that, sorry. Humanity needs a savior, not a politician. Judas didn't like the Jesus that God had provided. He didn't like God's Messiah 
because he wasn't doing what he thought he should do. And he certainly didn't like the fact that he didn't stop Mary from worshiping him because he probably had an understanding from the Old Testament. Anytime somebody worshiped somebody else or an angel or something like that, the response always was the same. Don't do that. Worship God. Do you realize that Jesus Christ never rebuked anyone for worshiping him? That in and of itself is a claim to his deity. And Judas didn't like that. Christ followers honor, love, and worship him, and he commends that choice. And the New Testament has the audacity to clearly teach that Jesus deserves this adoration because he is the one and only Son of God, the God-man, the only way to relationship with our Heavenly Father. There is salvation in no one else. And it is this exclusivity that is a big issue for people because we want God on our terms. I'm okay with a God who fits my expectations and does things my way. And if he doesn't meet those expectations, no, thank you. Some reject Jesus because of what he does. Some embrace him, adore him because of who he is, but others reject Jesus because of what he does not do. What do you do when he doesn't do when you want him to do when you want him to do? You know, you're supposed to be paying attention, not me. <laughs> what do you do when he doesn't do what you want him to do? What do we do when he doesn't do what we want him to do when, he wants, when we want him to do it? Now, you, know, you hear it? What do you do? You have to remember who he is. We must remember that our choices will have consequences, and some of those consequences are eternal. We base our assessment of what we experience on ourselves as the grid or as the measure. What I think, what I feel about what I see, it is self-based, it is sin-based, and the assessment leads to feelings that lead to beliefs, and then that leads to actions, and none of it's good. In other words, I believe God has let me down and disappointed me because he hasn't done what I want him to do or he's done what I don't want him to do. What I think he should be, I reject him. I, I, me, me, I will work you right into the grave. We have to remember that our choices have consequences and some of them are eternal. Let's, let's look at history about what we've just seen this morning. Let's look at the rejection that leads to death. In regard to the leaders of Jerusalem and in regard to Judas. In the case of the leaders, it had tragic consequences because within a generation, Rome, as Jesus said would happen, came and devastated the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. For Judas, the scripture says this, he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and he left and he went away and hanged himself. Self-destruction. What about us? What are the consequences of our rejection of Jesus? Whether it's because we want him to do something he's not doing or not doing what we want him to do. The scriptures answer this for the person who 
insists on a Jesus the way they want him to be rather than the one they need to trust for their salvation. The scripture says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God remains on him. I am convinced that you and I are living in a time where we see the fruit of our rejection as a culture. Have you talked to someone about the way things have been the last couple of years and somewhere in the conversation you have this phrase come out, it's crazy. Have you, right? You're talking about stuff and you go, this is crazy. This is crazy. You want an example of crazy? Listen to this. Did you hear about Harvard University? They've hired a chaplain, a new chaplain. He's an atheist. A chaplain is supposed to provide spiritual comfort to people, and he is an atheist. That's like you putting your kids on a school bus with the lady who's driving has never been behind the wheel of a vehicle in her life. That's crazy! How do you account for that? Listen, you want to understand what's happening? Because if you do, then you'll know how to handle it. Romans 1, and God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind. And you cannot reason with a depraved mind. But you can preach the gospel to it. You can tell them about Jesus You can trust the Lord who gave his life for you to give his life to you, to live his life through you, as you, in such a way that they look at you and go, what is that? I want that. That you can do. You can be praying. That's the the price of rejection. It's death. But the reward of acceptance is life. The Lord Jesus said that wherever the gospel would be preached, what Mary did would be remembered. She took something that was very valuable and lavished it on Jesus. And the gospel tells us that like Mary, our heavenly father, out of his love for us, lavished upon us the most valuable commodity in the universe, the darling of heaven, his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Mary broke open that vial, God broke open his son for you and for me. How shall we respond Let me ask that question of the two groups of folks that are gathered here or even watching online, because there are only two. For those of you who have never made the choice to embrace Jesus for who he truly is, not what you'd like him to be, not for who you've been told by others he is, but by whom the scriptures describe him to be, I implore you to simply invite him into your life as your rescuer from sin and your leader for life. And that can be expressed in a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the precious gift of your son, Jesus. Right now, as best as I know how, I choose to embrace him for who he is, the source of forgiveness, the giver of new life, and the one who makes a destiny with you certain. That's how it begins. For those of us who made that choice many years ago, 
it's a little bit of a different prayer. It goes like this, Lord Jesus, in the same way that Mary used that valuable essence on you, I ask that you would take that which is most valuable to me, myself, and have your way in and through me. Break me open from what keeps you from living through me so that my life would in fact be an expression of your life. Let it be a beautiful fragrance that not only others will be able to res- would be unable to resist, but it would glorify you. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church when he says, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. When you and I see Jesus for who he really is, we have two choices. We'll either refuse to embrace him or we will adore him. I think you realize that there's only one legitimate, healthy, reasonable choice to make. The best choice we can ever make is to embrace Jesus for who he really is. Heavenly Father, I pray that that would be true for us this morning, whether we've been Christians for 50 years or we walked in here not knowing that our lack of decision, our lack of making a choice of accepting Jesus for the first time is in fact a rejection. I pray that you would make that clear to any who are listening or here today who have never made the first choice to trust Christ for what he did for them on the cross. And for those of us who've been redeemed by his blood for perhaps a very long time, that whatever may be in our lives that you need to reveal by breaking us open, you would do it gently and show us how we miss out on enjoying more of who he is for us and being available to you for Jesus to live his life through us, that others may see it because that's the only thing. They've got to see Jesus. And we are the only means by which he will be seen. Work in us that that would be true for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen.